most of us remember that day. It's etched in our minds, a permanent reminder of tragedy. We all watched helplessly as lives were lost, heroes were born, and a nation was forever changed. The loss was unimaginable, the sorrow unbearable. But through that pain, we witnessed the resolve of a nation. We saw chaos give birth to courage, fear transform into fortitude, and destruction give way to determination. In the midst of the brokenness, freedom stood immovable. Today, we remember lost. We honor the heroes who saved so many and grieve with the families who have suffered so much. It's been 20 years, but we still remember and we will never forget.
Let's look at some scripture. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the word of God says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are that to God so that we can do what? So that
lives not be shaken by the circumstances around us, that when we focus our eyes completely upon you, may we build our lives on the truth of who you are, what you say in your word. That's where our joy is found. May Jesus be magnified. May we reflect his glory to those we come in contact with. Bless this time we're spending together, dear God. And as your word is now preached and proclaimed, we open our ears to you. We open our hearts to you and we will respond in complete obedience. We ask these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. And the people of God said together, amen. You may be seated. as we uh, get started here on the message. I want to thank Clint Stewart for doing such a great job last week and uh, filling in while we were out of town. We were celebrating our youngest granddaughter's first birthday. So thank you for the privilege of letting us slip out of town for a couple of days. Before I read John 16.33 uh, today, as we continue our series on the Great Interruption, I want to invite you to do something that might sound a little bit strange, but if you would indulge me, go ahead and take off your shoes. Some of you talked about how much you enjoy being back here in the gym and how comfortable and informal it is. So I want to accentuate that. Now really, if you don't mind, you don't have to, but if you wouldn't mind just taking off your shoes during this message, uh, I think it will help us to understand an important truth uh, at the end. John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Twenty years ago, before the prevalence of the internet and the invention of the iPhone, people were calling each other on landlines on September 11, 2001, and they were repeating a phrase that was heard millions of times throughout that day. Turn on your television. Like many of you, I remember where I was and what I was doing. I had heard on the radio, listening in background music as I was studying, that a plane had crashed into one of the towers, the World Trade Center in New York City. Initial reports was it was just a private plane. Nothing big. I continued until Jeff called me and he said, turn on your television. That day changed everything. Historians Will and Ariel Durant have calculated that in the past three and a half millennia of recorded history, there have only been 268 years of worldwide peace. And since 1968, there has not been a single year in which there hasn't been war taking place somewhere on the planet. On September 11, 2001, as we gathered together as a church, some of the most apropos words were spoken by Paul Harvey, and I quoted him that day. In times like these, it is helpful to remember that there have always been times like these. 
As we mark the 20th anniversary of 9-11, I'd like to share a few stories with you that help us to better understand the perspective of John 16:33. Michelle and I were up there last month in August. We had visited with family in D.C. and we took a train up to New York City because it was my desire as well as hers for us to return to Ground Zero. The last time we had been there was with our youth group in the summer of 2002 on a mission trip. As we consider John 16:33 under the lens of 9-11, we'll see that these are the very last words of instruction that Jesus gives to his disciples in the upper room. We've been looking at these words of instruction all the way from John 13 through John 16, and we've spent two months going through what Jesus had to say. The theology of the world that Jesus is talking about when he says, in the world, the theology of the world is anything but Jesus. When he's talking about, in the world, you will have, and in the literal translation, it means you will continually have tribulation. But he goes on to say, I have completely overcome the world. There is not a single aspect of the world view of this world that Jesus hasn't overcome. The theology of the world is anything but Jesus, and we saw that on 9-11. Yet Jesus declares his absolute total victory over the world belief system that denies his sovereignty. You may remember some of the emotions that you had on that particular day 20 years ago, and I recognize that a number of you have no recollection of 9-11 based upon your age. But for those of us that were around, some of the emotions that really caused us trouble in our heart was that we, as Christians, wanted revenge. Wilton Sexer lost his son in the World Trade Center when he was on the 105th floor of Canton Fitzgerald of Tower One. Just 31 years of age, hadn't even been married nine months. Wilton was a retired New York City policeman, and he wanted what many of us wanted. He wanted revenge. He remembered his days in Vietnam in which they were able to put names on missiles and bombs, and so he petitioned the authorities. And a 2,000-pound guided missile hit with 100% accuracy on April 1st, 2003, and on that bomb were the words, in loving memory of Jason Sexer. Wilton carried that picture of the bomb around with him and showed, him, showed it to anyone that would look. But he later received an email from a guy who asked him a question. What about the other fathers whose sons were killed by that bomb? It caused him to reconsider his actions. He confessed, as a number of you would today, it is not easy to be calm when you lose your child. He said, I wanted revenge. But he resolved to change his son's remembrance, and he did something entirely different. He took the necessary steps to have a street named after his son, so you can go to New York in Queens, and you will find the street, Jason M. Sexer Memorial Place. Wilton went on to say, people ask me, which I'm more proud of, putting his name on a bomb or putting it on a street sign? The answer, obviously, is the street sign. 
The bomb was a reaction to anger. The street sign will be here forever. Two different categories, he said. We question evil. Everyone has since the beginning of time. What is the source of evil, especially as we look back 20 years upon that catastrophic day? Something that might help us is to go to the semi-nomadic group of the Sakakya, who live in northeastern Kenya. They herd camels and goats. As people of about 13,000 worship Satan. It's a cultic worship called Ayana. At the core of their belief system is the appeasement of Satan. They believe that it's necessary to appease Satan because he brings our harm. Conversely, there's absolutely no provision in their religion for the appeasement of God because they don't believe that he brings harm. So here are people that haven't yet responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they have a basic understanding of evil, that Satan is the instigator of evil, as John 10.10 tells us, and that God alone is the initiator of good, as we find in James 1.17. 9-11 was indeed a horrible day, but I pray that we can see the goodness of God that was reflected in what took place on that day. When you think back on September 11th, avowed atheist Helen Johnson, who was president of the American Atheist at the time, made this comment. She said, if it wasn't a wake-up call to a religious nation, I don't know what it is. That said to me, there is no God. Where was he? On a coffee break? But a simple review of the statistical facts reveal a completely different picture. When you add up the number of employees, the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, the seats that are available on those four jets, you have a minimum of 75,000 potential victims. Yet the final count of fatalities was fewer than 3,000 people. That means that 96% of the potential victims survived. The towers didn't immediately collapse as they should. They stood longer than engineering logic can explain so that 15,000 people could escape. The portion of the Pentagon that was hit, it was the very first section of five sections that had been renovated and reconstructed for, guess this, to strengthen it against terrorist attacks. Three of the four jets were carrying less than a quarter of their maximum occupancy and the fourth was only a third full. Although we will never forget the horrors of that day, we must also remember the divine hand of protection that God provided. It was a horrible day, but thank God for the many who were spared. One of the things that I saw in a video recently that, that really struck a chord with me, there are 2,977 names etched on the piece around the footprints of the two towers, those who died. But what this particular commentator said is you should notice the names that are not there. Those that were assisted in getting out. Those that survived. Those that were evacuated. 
There are many more names that could be on memorials, but I believe God's protective hand prevented that. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run to it and are safe. That was a day of crisis. When we have crisis in our life, as Jesus was referencing in John 16.33, that you will have crises throughout your life. That's what John 16.33 tells us. Maybe a perspective from the Chinese language will help us. The word crisis is defined in the Chinese language as danger over opportunity. Over every particular crisis, there is an opportunity. And such was the case in the World Trade Center in 1993, when a bomb detonated in the underground parking garage and left a 100-foot hole. Total chaos erupted as people were being evacuated from the two towers. It took six hours to move all of the people out of the towers because the stairwells were completely pitch black. As a result of that crisis, six lives were lost in 1933. But because of that crisis, they saw opportunity. And so battery lighting was installed in the stairwells, and glow-in-the-dark paint was painted on the handrails and the steps, and evacuation drills were implemented. And by seizing the opportunity that was created in 1993 through a crisis, over 90% of those in the towers on September 11th were evacuated in fewer than two hours, which was essential for survival. This would not have occurred had there not been a crisis in 1993. If you think about 9-11 and the emotions that maybe some of us have even now as we reflect back, I'm drawn to the attitude of Lisa Beamer, such a strong, vibrant Christian woman. Just five days after Osama bin Laden was killed in 2011, she gave the commencement address at her alma mater, Wheaton College. It would have been a perfect opportunity just five days after killing Osama bin Laden for her to extol the poetic justice of his death, vindication for her husband's life on United Flight 93. She had a much more redemptive message. She told the graduates... Yearn for lasting significance. Not the type that's found in the media or on the internet. She said, yearn for the significance, the kind that brings individuals to the person of Christ and teaches them to operate according to the values of his kingdom, which she was doing on that day as she shared this message instead of the other. She warned them, don't be dismayed to find your lives turn ordinary soon enough. But in the rather unglamorous nature of your days, ask yourself, who's becoming whole again on your watch? What's being healed through your influence? How is God redeeming his creation through your life? She said, your good answers will surely mark be the mark of significance even in an ordinary life. It wasn't the first time that she had experienced loss. 
Lisa Beamer lost her father when she was just 15 years of age. So the experiences of her previous grief helped her in the grief of her husband. She gained a new understanding of Jeremiah 29, 11, passage of scripture that we oftentimes turn to in times of hardship. She wrote this, the plans God has for us don't just include good things. They don't just include the prospering he talks about, but it's often the outcome of a bad event. This led her to a very important discovery that guides her life. Somewhere along the way, she wrote, I stopped demanding that God fix the problems in my life and started to be thankful for his presence as I endured them. That's what Jesus was saying in John 16, The problems, they will continue, but so will my presence. Plenty of people blamed God for the events of September 11th, but Janelle Gusman is not one of them. She worked in, the, in, one of the, in Tower One, and when the building collapsed, she was thrown side to side in the stairwell and ended up on the 13th floor with her head caught between two beams. She prayed for a second chance. Until then, she had just attended church sporadically, but amid the dark, dusty debris, she cried out to God, begged him for a second chance, and asked, please just give me this one miracle. Then nearly, 30, nearly 27 hours after the collapse, Janelle became the last survivor pulled from the rubble. She's living proof that even when your world is crashing in around you, you're caught on what seems to be the unluckiest floor of all 13, miracles can still happen. Stephen Baldwin is the youngest of the Hollywood-famed Baldwin brothers. Had a reputation for being a wild child, living a life without any constraints. But that all changed on 9-11. He said of the events of 9-11, if an event like that, that I deem to be totally impossible, then anything is possible. If that's true, then it's possible that Jesus Christ is the Savior. And he became a follower of Christ. He did what we must all do. We must honestly assess the possibility that Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God and the only one who can take away our sins. A.B. Curtis wrote a book about 9-11 to help her grandchildren understand the horror as well as the heroism of that day. She published a book in 2003 called The Little Chapel That Stood. Michelle and I went by St. John's Chapel, which stands just east of Ground Zero. And we saw that historic church built in 1766 where George Washington worshipped. It has a wrought iron around the perimeter, and that became an icon of both loss and bravery. Scores of firefighters stopped there to put on their boots as they prepared to rush into the burning towers. They hung their shoes on the old fence, but most of them didn't return. 
And one line Curtis wrote, Oh, what gallant men did we lose who never came back to get their shoes. As we contemplate the horrific day 20 years ago, it's fitting to remember that we have opportunities today that those courageous firefighters lost 20 years ago. The opportunity is still ours. So now would you put your shoes back on, and I know most of you didn't. It affirms my leadership. Put on your shoes and be reminded that you still have the opportunity today to go out and make a difference, an opportunity that was lost 20 years ago for many. Life's brevity exhorts us to make the most of every day. When we were returning from D.C., pilot came on and said, we're about 20 minutes away from landing at Houston's Hobby Airport. I turned to Michelle and I said, that's significant. Remember that. See, Flight 93 will always be remembered for the heroic Americans who thwarted the terrorist attack of September 11th. They stopped what those terrorists had, were trying to do when they commandeered their plane. The intended target, as explained by the 9-11 Museum, was a U.S. Capitol where Congress was in full session. It was the biggest icon with the largest collateral damage possible. But instead, the plane crashed in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Had it remained airborne for just 20 minutes longer, it would have hit its target. Friends, opportunity in life is fleeting for all of us. We look back on 9-11 and we think about the opportunity that was seized by those on the Flight 93. What opportunities are we seizing today? Because we must do so in a very limited window of time. Dawn Robinson understood that. She was living in California and flew to New York City in 1998 for a temporary visit that turned into a permanent job on the 66th floor of the South Tower with Morgan Stanley. Her Christian influence was prevalent in the office, and she would spend time talking to a colleague named Casey, Cassie about her relationship with Christ. During the lunchtime conversations, Cassie recognized her need for God, but she would end each time of discussion with these words, I'm just not ready to get on the bus. On September 11, 2001, Don's office went into immediate panic when two huge fireballs came blasting towards them from the North Tower. They quickly did what they had been trained to do in all those evacuation drills, and they went down to the 44th Plaza. People congregated there as a safe haven and waited directions. Everybody seemed to be in a somewhat festive mood. And once the alarm stopped, the loudspeaker came on and said, everything appears to be fine, you can return back to your offices. She moved towards the elevator with a huge crowd of people, but suddenly she was overcome by anxiety. Although the authorities said it was safe to go back, she had this unexplainable easiness, so she moved against the crowd 
and did what defied logic. She headed for the stairs without going to the office to retrieve either her keys or her wallet. She had descended just two flights of stairs when all of a sudden she was slammed against the wall as United Airlines Flight 175 crashed into the tower 20 floors above her office. She would spend the next 45 minutes heading down to the concourse level. She raced out of the building with falling debris coming down, striking her, bleeding down her side, running for her life, and within a few brief moments after exiting the building, the South Tower collapsed. She was engulfed in this huge, thick cloud of dust and smoke. She said it was as dark as midnight. Once again, she thought she was going to die. While gasping for breath, she noticed her friend Cassie was just a few feet away. And together, they ran down the street and stumbled upon a vacant bus. Both ladies jumped inside because the cloud had not yet invaded the inside of the closed-up bus. Dawn began to plead with her friend Cassie to commit her life to Christ. She said, we can't be sure we're going to survive this. Please, Cassie, don't wait one minute more. Invite Jesus Christ into your life right now. And at that moment, on a bus... Cassie gave her life to Christ. The woman who had repeatedly told her friends she wasn't ready to get on the bus became a Christian on an abandoned bus in the war zone of downtown Manhattan. That's the invitation for every person that is not yet a Christian. God's offer of salvation for you to get on the bus. In that south, south Tower that Dawn and Cassie both escaped, 600 civilians died above the plane's impact. Unbeknownst to them, there was in fact an open staircase that connected the upper floors to the street below. Of the hundreds who were trapped in the top 33 floors, only 18 people used the staircase to escape. Tragedy of 9-11 is horrible enough, but to think how many more could have been saved had they known about the open stairway. The gospel is like that. It is a life-saving staircase, but only those who find it can escape certain death. A bunch of us are old. Did you know that for one-fifth of Americans, 9-11 isn't a memory? It's just history. It's last Wednesday night when I was talking to the youth. We talked about 9-11. I asked them what they remembered and what they thought. You could hear crickets. It wasn't an experience for them. They've read about it. They've seen YouTube. They've heard parents talk about it. But they didn't experience it. And for many people, that's the Christian experience as well. They've heard about Christ, but they haven't yet experienced him as Lord and Savior. Have you? Do you recognize that God loves you and he's created you to have 
a relationship with him, and that is the greatest need of anyone's life. The problem is, in God's loving invitation for us to receive him, our sin separates us from having that relationship. That's why Jesus Christ came and established that stairway to life. Only through Christ can we be made right with God. But thankfully, through him we can. We can be changed for all of eternity by receiving him as Lord and Savior, turning from our sins. Are you ready to get on the bus? I'm going to lead us in a prayer in just a moment where you can receive Christ as Lord and Savior. But can I talk to all of us that are Christians today? Who have you invited to get on the bus lately? Who's the Cassie in your life? Who are you pleading with to receive Christ right now? Whose names are being taken off the lost list because of the sacrifices you are making to reach them, because of the prayers that you are voicing over them? Friends, when I think about Flight 93, one of the things that really strikes me is if they had done what the hijackers encouraged them to do, just sit down, keep still, be quiet, you'll be okay, it wouldn't have been okay. They had to do something to make something change. Are we, in many ways, as followers of Jesus Christ, sitting on Flight 93, passively thinking that everything will be okay, recognizing that if we don't act, certain carnage will come. So as we pray, if you've never received Christ, I pray that you would get on the bus and receive Jesus Christ, the one who has indeed overcome the world. And if you find yourself struggling even now as a Christian, wondering who is the Cassie in my life, and when is the last time I talked to that person about Christ, and what am I doing proactively to try to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you can't find that particular conviction in your heart, I'm going to ask you to get on your knees, literally on your knees, and pray for God to use you to reach people for Christ. Let's pray. God, how we pray as we think back on this horrific day. It serves as a, a somber day, as well as an illustration of such deep spiritual truth. God, you've told us that in the world we will have 9-11s. But you have overcome the world that believes you don't exist. God, you've given us eternal and abundant life. I pray that if anybody has never received that today, they would pray a prayer similar to this. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have. And I will follow hard after you like those running from the tower. I will run that hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. God, for those of us that have already embraced, 
the beautiful gift of eternal and abundant life. Would you use us in a powerful way to reach out to those who do not yet know you, to be reminded that you have given us the high calling of sharing this great truth with everyone we meet. And God, through the ministry of this church and countless churches scattered throughout this world, you would use your church, the body of Christ, to share the gospel in such a way that the kingdom of hell will never prevail against it. In your name we pray. Amen. If you receive Christ today, you made the most important, best decision of your life, and we want to know about it. We'll be standing at the exits after the service, and you can speak to one of us as staff. You can text to 94000. You can text uh, Westgate to 94000 on your phone. Let us know of your decision so we can assist you. For all of us as believers, let's stand together and worship and allow God to continue to speak to us as we sing.
bless you. Have a great rest of the week.